0: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. Demonstrators gathered in San Jose, Oakland, San Francisco, and across the country last night after a grand jury brought no charges against Louisville police for Breonna Taylor's killing. We'll talk about the decision and the protests with Oakland civil rights attorney John Burris. And later, the federal response to the pandemic and how the nation is faring in its fight against COVID-19. This follows a grim milestone as the country's coronavirus death count passed 200,000 this week. What's the outlook as the Bay Area opens up and flu season approaches? And what do changes at the FDA mean for the rollout of the vaccine we're all waiting for? That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum, I'm Michael Krasny. Protesters across the Bay Area and nationwide continue to hold rallies today after a Kentucky grand jury declined yesterday to charge Louisville police in the murder of Breonna Taylor, who was shot in her home six months ago during a botched drug raid on a neighboring apartment. The grand jury brought criminal charges against only one of the three police officers involved in the raid for recklessly firing into the other apartment. We're going to talk about why the police avoided homicide charges and What's next as advocates continue to fight for justice for Breonna Taylor? And joining us is civil rights attorney John Burris. And John, good to have you with us. Welcome.
1: Yeah, good morning. always good.
0: Good morning to you. And let me begin by just saying how terribly sad and hurt and angry people are feeling that justice definitely was not attained in all of this. And justice for the killing of this exceptional young woman I wanted to quote her lawyer, uh, her family's lawyer, Ben Crump, who said, we'll go to our graves proclaiming Brianna Taylor did not get justice from the K- Kentucky attorney general's office uh, in the response. And he talked about righteous anger. And there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of sadness as well as righteous anger. And I believe you said earlier today in an interview uh, that uh, they all all three police officers could have easily been prosecuted for manslaughter.
1: Absolutely. And my view on this. Well, recognizing first that that the, that there was a shot from the boyfriend in the direction of the police who was thinking that he was being burglarized uh, or being attacked, the police obviously had a right to defend that uh, and respond to it. But my thinking on this was, look, there was 35 shots fired in the direction of this individual. To me, that represents a, maybe an honest, good faith belief but unreasonable belief that their lives were in danger after that first shot and and it seems to me that's a manslaughter type charge and i don't know why that if you if it wasn't given to the jurors for them to decide i think we'd all feel better if the, the range of options were made available to all of us to see what in fact was presented to the grand jury these are serious issues for the African-American community and all communities, because at the end of the day, when you see a young person get killed who wrongfully and unjustifiably, you need to know that there's some way of justification for that. And whoever did that had to pay a price for it. And in this case, it looks like these officers will walk scot-free with no ramifications to them at all. And that's the hurting part. And I, to be honest with you, Michael, I, I, I also have a view that, too much justification and, and efforts at getting justice is in the criminal justice system when an African-American is killed by the police. It rarely, rarely happens. I've been involved in one or two cases where there's been some indication, but the expectations are, are, are high and legitimate, but it always fails. And all it does is create anger and then on top of anger, on top of anger. And so we are now, Brianna Taylor is really a function of a number of cases that this anger has built up over a period of time. Uh, where there's been no prosecution in cases where clearly it should have been. So this is just one case in a microcosm of all kinds of cases. And it's hurtful, certainly to me as a prosecuting uh, a lawyer and, and been involved with both the DA and a defense lawyer and a civil rights lawyer, uh, to see this kind of situation take place. There seems to be and could be some political motivations involved here, given the nature of the prosecutor. But we don't know that. Uh, but it uh, seems to me uh, we need to know what was, what was presented at, to the grand jury because the DA can control what comes out of that uh, grand jury. The attorney general in this case, he could have easily presented a case such that he thinks this is manslaughter, there's some disputed facts involved here, let a jury decide those facts, bring the charges, and then, uh, and then uh, the evidence can be presented. that I think the African-American community and all communities would feel better you go along then
0: with uh, actually it was uh, Governor Andy Bashir, who's Kentucky governor, a Democrat, asked the Attorney General to post all relevant ev- uh, evidence online. He said uh, evidence that is it can be released without affecting the charges that have been filed. You go along with that, I presume?
1: A- absolutely, and you know the charges that are filed are so minor that I would imagine that the sus- sus- substantive amount of the evidence. That was presented or can be presented would not impact upon the criminal charges that person uh, faces. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I don't care anything about those charges, whether he was charged or not. The real question is there was there's an acknowledgment and an indication as to what impact any of this had on the death of Brianna Taylor. So for for me, and more openness in this process would be much better than for the D.A. or grand jury to make a decision, and we know nothing about it. You know, you don't have to have a grand jury. You can't present evidence uh, at, a, at a preliminary hearing where everyone can see it. Part of the problem that we have here is the lack of transparency, and, and seemingly that we don't really know what happened here. The only thing we know is what the D.A. has told, the attorney general has told. And I will tell you, they claim that this one person says that uh, she heard the uh, announced that they were uh, coming in to the police, but 11 people did not hear it. That's the kind of thing that a jury can decide for themselves, because my experience is you can have police groupies that they understand a certain thing is necessary, they will fill in the blanks. And, and I'm all saying is that that's the kind of thing that should be subject to cross-examination where other people can see it. But when it's presented in a one way by the uh, Attorney General, uh, there's little confidence that you can have that all that evidence has been presented, particularly particularly uh, when you have the prosecutor who is a, is a, a political operative who, who is seeking to have greater uh, opportunity and ambition as it relates to the Republican Party. So that causes skepticism in and of itself
0: the attorney general daniel cameron actually said his heartbreaks breaks he is a protege of mitch mcconnell's he's also uh, someone who said uh, criminal law is not meant to respond to every sorrow and grief and he said uh, it was not a no-knock warrant and i'm wondering what your response is to his basic argument that it was justified because uh, they got fired on first
1: well i i will concede and, and recognize that certainly if the officers are fired upon uh, they have a right to self-defense. I, I don't have any question about that. But I don't know that that extends to all 35 shots. And that's my point. I mean, I, that certainly they have a right to self-defense and they have a right. But I don't think that's the end of the question uh, or the analysis, as, as, as the prosecutor seems to suggest. Because 35 shots along the way, there should have been some acknowledgement that this doesn't make a lot of sense we're firing all these times and nobody else is firing. And and, and so to me, that requires some analysis of what really took place in terms of what that caused all these 35 shots to take place. That's where I get to the point of, okay, you had a good faith belief at the outset, but at some point in time it became unreasonable, and that's where I see the manslaughter charge coming in. And I think that's a, that's a legitimate issue that a jury could look at and say yes, no, maybe, uh, but I don't think it was presented in such a way to the, to the, uh, to the grand jury because the, D, the attorney general seemed to have a state, a, a limited view. A shot was fired at the police. The police had a right to respond. That's the end of the discussion, and we're saying I don't think that that's right at all, particularly given the number of shots that were fired.
0: We're talking with civil rights attorney John Burris, and what's your response to the decision? You can actually join us now. I'll invite you to do that. Uh, you can join us by uh, emailing us forum at kqed org or getting in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at kqed forum, and uh, please feel free to be part of the program. I'm getting some responses now, and. Uh, Here's a listener who said, uh, could you start with a really simple explanation of what indictment means? I don't understand what it means and why they're saying there are no charges. Although, uh, John, I think it's important to clarify there were charges. There were charges of firing into the home next door, which had people inside, white people inside. uh, But those were the only charges.
1: Those are the only charges. And indictment, basically, we, we have evidence that suggests that you have committed a crime. And so, therefore, we are charging with you about that. That's what the indictment represents. And a failure to bring an indictment means that we have looked at whatever evidence we have. That evidence does not support a criminal violation, which then means that there has to be sufficient evidence uh, that, prob- that uh, the limited view is probable cause. There's sufficient evidence that they have a probable cause. However, when the police look at these cases of the attorney general, they don't look at the question of probable cause. They need to know whether we can prove this beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's the difference that we see in criminal cases uh, when involving the police than I see in other cases where people are charged on probable cause and not necessarily on the belief that, that at the time they have all the evidence. Because truth of the matter is, evidence does come in later you do your investigation and in the course of that other evidence will come in so it's not uncommon to bring a charge when you don't have all the evidence but you have sufficient evidence to bring a charge which is probable cause that obviously could be done in, in this particular case if the d.a and the attorney general wanted to do so
0: what about the FBI investigating this uh, federal law violations figure into this? And I'm also interested in getting your thoughts about the fact that the lawsuit that was filed uh, by Brianna uh, Taylor's mother, uh, Tamika Palmer, which was settled last week and agreed to pay $12 million, also included enacting police reforms. How likely and is that to happen and what do you actually well, anticipate? I
1: actually like that. I actually love this settlement with the police reforms because when you look at a case like this, and we always do, you want to know how can you prevent this from happening in the future? And so you look and see what what was the breaking points here? What were the leverage points with this cause? And so one of which is a, looked at the no-knock uh, argument and, and, and said, we're not going to have those in the future. You can have other kinds of investigations that, that have, uh, where you look to see if you've done your due diligence in a way to make sure. Because this was a case where, you know, they were looking, there was really an ex-boyfriend who wasn't living there, had not been there in a long time, so was it really recent evidence that you had to make this kind of decision? So it's a due diligence question. But I also just generally like the idea of reforms. I, I hope that the police uh, will follow up on them. The problem with it, of course, is not a court order. But if there's an agreement amongst the parties, I like in good faith that they will try to do that. Uh, that that's important. Now, in terms of a federal you know, this is a, a case where you look to see if there are federal civil rights criminal violations. That's a very high standard. Rarely does the federal um, U.S. Attorney's Office and Justice Department bring these kind of cases. I have not seen hardly any. Under the present um, administration, attorney generals, because they're because there's sort of an interest in not doing that, uh, not um, uh, evaluating police to see if they're en- engaged in, in misconduct. That has certainly been the operating principle, but even not if on a federal criminal civil rights violation, it's a specific intent to violate someone's civil rights. John Burris
0: with us and let me read a couple comments that are coming in. We're going to have to go to a break in a minute here, but I want to give uh, some listeners uh, some attention here. One listener writes, I live in Oakland and I was part of the protest downtown last night. The anger is visceral and people are just fed up with everything. Michael tweets, the problem is the system that allowed the police to enter Brianna's apartment after midnight. The search warrant gave them the legal right to be there, and once fired upon, the police had the legal right to shoot back. It's just a tragedy. And I should mention from our newsroom today at 11, there will be a press conference in downtown Oakland called by Cat Brooks and other activists gathering in front of a mural dedicated to Brianna Taylor. They're inviting the black women of Oakland to come and demand an end to the war on our lives. John Burris, thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you.
1: My pleasure. Take care. Thank you.
0: When we come back, we're going to talk about COVID. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Krasny.